It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. It was heartbreaking. Claudia Pisano says seeing her husband Daniel in the ICU has been gut-wrenching. And I walk in and I look at my husband and it just breaks my heart. But she and her son Christopher aren't just sad. I am mad. In a lawsuit filed December 29th, the family is seeking to force Mayo Clinic to allow Daniel Pisano to be treated with ivermectin. The drug, approved to treat parasites, has had some anecdotal success treating COVID, but its use is opposed by the FDA, the CDC, and virtually every professional medical organization in the United States. What's the harm? Christopher Pisano says the hospital should at least give access to a local doctor who has prescribed ivermectin. If he only has a 5% chance of survival, why are we not trying? Mayo Clinic declined an interview request, but at an emergency hearing on December 30th, hospital attorneys said, quote, like every single national and international health organization, Mayo doctors have rejected ivermectin. They called the situation, quote, a very, very difficult situation, but said allowing an outside doctor to dictate care that the hospital opposes would turn, quote, the provision of medical care into like being a fast food restaurant. Judge Marianne Ajo sided with the hospital. She said a patient has the right to accept or refuse treatment, but, quote, not the right to demand a particular treatment. The family's lawyer is filing a motion for rehearing today and plans to file an emergency appeal if denied. We just want my father to have the opportunity to live. Ann Schindler, First Coast News, on your side. All right, well, evidently that was too much to ask because uh, since that was recorded, Daniel Pisano is dead. Uh, He died uh, because Mayo would not relent. And that happened uh, just a few hours between the death of uh, Daniel Pisano, Stephen Judge, who was trying to get treatment in all the way across the United States in Arizona, same thing, refusing any other treatment uh, on a ventilator, family challenging it. Stephen Judge also is dead, and that reminds me. Then the third one that's happened this week, to my knowledge, is Scott Quiner. We've talked about him quite a bit, and his wife uh, pulled him out of a hospital in Minnesota, got him to Texas. Uh, He had lost 30 pounds, was given uh, unbelievable treatments through his ventilator to sedate him, and he has succumbed to his illness. Now, I guess the hospitals are happy about this, but I have to say this is happening all across the country. It's been happening since COVID first broke out, and we saw the New York hospitals filled, and actually we saw fake footage from Italian hospitals presented to us as though New York hospitals were suffering in that same way, but people put on ventilators and massive amounts of them dying, almost none of them ever, ever living. Why in the world? We have trusted American medicine for decades. We've had the finest in the world, finest care, the finest hospitals. Uh, what is it possible that America's hospitals should have digressed and been corrupted so quickly that they would actually 
bring people in and let them die. And if that's the case, why would they do something like that? Well, I recently heard um, an interview that really caught my eye and attention, and it was um, a woman named A.J. DePriest, who is the founder of the Tennessee Liberty Network. Um, she caught my attention because we talked about Deborah Doster. Deborah was our guest talking about um, that she had been taken off the kidney transplant list at Vanderbilt University because she was not vaccinated. We got very deeply invested in that story. We still are. And so because this is Tennessee, this interview really jumped out at me. And I ask, have asked AJ to join us this morning to talk about the kinds of things they have discovered in their research through Tennessee Liberty Network. AJ, thank you for joining me this morning. Andy, thank you. Let's lay the groundwork a little bit, because uh, the Tennessee Liberty Network, can you tell tell us what that is, kind of? What are you guys? Well, we're a a little think tank here in Tennessee. We're extremely covert. We're not a 501. We don't take money from anyone. Uh, We don't raise money. We don't have a membership. Um, It's just 28 people, uh, concerned citizens, who got together a year ago and decided to start looking for answers to why All these things were happening, not just in the hospitals, but in schools and businesses as well with these insane COVID mandates. So uh, if you can give us an idea, look, this is not a disqualification if you don't have a PhD in research, but I'm just curious to know what your skill set, all of you, that you don't even have to give names, but what kind of skill set did you guys bring to what you're doing? Mostly just grassroots concerned citizenry. I mean, we have some nurses. We have um, a lot of people who have worked in in professional fields um, their whole lives and are now retired. And um, a, a lot of just concerned parents and grandparents. It really is truly a grassroots effort of people who just sat down one day and, and just decided Let's just start digging and finding out why these things are happening. And miraculously, we didn't even have to file any FOIAs or open records requests. Everything we wanted uh, that we needed was actually just a matter of public record that anyone could have found. But we started connecting the dots and putting the pieces together. And it was utterly terrifying what we were finding, um, starting with the CARES Act. Um, the CARES Act is really responsible for a lot of the really horrible things that we're seeing in hospitals today. It empowered CMS, that's the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, uh, with just uh, just unbridled power to not only uh, grant waivers to hospitals to completely disregard patient bill of rights, but CMS is responsible for paying hospitals these exorbitant amounts to not only carry out these death protocols, starting with remdesivir, but for vaccine employees, for um, for using ventilators, for basically paying for every COVID admission in the hospital, for sending out massive numbers of faulty PCR tests and paying hospitals not only for the tests, but for every positive test and every test that ends up as, as an admission. It's just a huge money-making racket that started with the CARES Act. And 
and it, then it filtered down into the American Rescue Plan Act signed last March by Biden, which just sealed the fate of, of every kid in every public school. Um, no. So our background in researching all this was really just a general interest at first. But when we started connecting the dots, we just started digging a little deeper and um, the things that we found just kind of, we were, we were absolutely polarized by the things we were finding. So we just knuckled down and, and um, it was really unbelievable all the dots we connected. Yes. And I want to, I want us to walk through that AJ and take our time. Because I, I do talk about this probably ad nauseum. I'm so passionate about it uh, and so upset about it. Uh, I think we're we're watching people actually be murdered. And my, I'm just telling yeah. you, I'm just saying, uh, my uh, my husband. I almost lost my husband same way as the other women I've described. And but for God's grace and my um, being able to get ivermectin for him and persuade my doctor to give it to him before they cracked down more than they have recently. He would he would oh, be dead, yes. and so yes. um, that's yeah. So it's not, but it's not just because I would feel this passionate if I hadn't had that experience with him. But that just gave me insight. So right. um, now the CARES Act. There's one a CARES Act passed in 2021. There was also one in 2022. And you know what? I have to confess to you, AJ. As much as I follow news and politics every day, I can't. Do you, can, what can you tell us about that? What what? How did they sell that? This was supposed to do something good for us. I'm sure. Because that's the way they sell all of this stuff. Yeah, of course. I mean, the CARES Act was supposed to, it was basically, you know, two, how much was it? It was $2.2 trillion of an economic stimulus package, they called it. Um, a lot of that money went to health care. A lot of it went to education and then to businesses. And some of it did actually some really, really good because, it um, it created the pay- paycheck protection, and it got a lot of people paid who whose businesses closed, and it protected a lot of small businesses. So there were some good things in it, but the overreach that it granted to CMS um, with the bonus incentive payments for the COVID-related things like testing and diagnosing and admission, use of remdesivir and ventilators, how they reported COVID deaths and how much how much money changed hands from COVID deaths and the vaccinations. But, you know, the waivers for the patient rights by CMS is probably one of the worst things we've ever seen, isolating patients and, uh, and medically kidnapping them and keeping them away from family, not allowing anyone in to be with their loved ones, even when they weren't in the ICU, administering medications against consent, um, sedating patients so that they couldn't leave against medical advice. I mean, these kind of egregious um, acts are, are, are just things that, that you only imagine happened during World War II uh, with the Nazis. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable. People can't believe the depth of of deception and and just pure evil going yes, on in hospitals today. Yep, I um I'm all I've been invoking Dr. Mangala uh, for Dr. Fauci. Yes, because uh, I yes. don't see a difference. Oh and uh, let me just say, I believe this is the case. Now, I I don't want to. Uh, I believe it was Daniel and Claudia Poussin. I think it was their story 
uh, it was Mayo Clinic Jacksonville, uh, where the gentleman got uh, COVID, and he was they, the local doctor told him to go to Mayo and get the monoclonal antibody treatment. His wife dropped him off, and he was she was supposed to pick him up in three hours. She came back to pick him up, and they had taken him inside, had him um, admitted to the hospital. I believe, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure they said he was already on a respirator. And oh and gosh. then they and they would not and they would not let her see him. She thought she was yeah. dropping him off for a monoclonal antibody treatment, and without her yeah, permission, they, they put did. him. They put him in the hospital, yeah. put him on a ventilator, and that's and she, they wouldn't. He was in there for months. I think this is. A, I'm guessing. Now I hope I'm not cross pollinating more than one story, but I believe it was in the fall. And it, you know she's mm-hmm. begging uh, them to uh, let her take him to have other treatments. Uh, they won't even let her inside for his 60th birthday, yeah. nothing. So it's, it yeah. is criminal what they are yeah. doing. But, A.J., let's, let's go back. Pardon, go ahead. Oh, there's a woman who lives down in Chattanooga who dropped her husband off at the ER. She went to park her car, and that was the last time she saw her husband alive. The next time she was allowed to be with him was about a week later, and she was allowed to sit with his body. You know, I ha- I can relate. I uh, I mentioned my husband, so I'll go back to that. Uh, he was terribly ill. I put I, I waited in line with him, got him into a, a wheelchair. We were waiting for them to take him up, and I said, "Just a second, I need to go back to the car and get his dop kit with his Oof. toiletries." I ran to the car to get those, and when I came back, they'd taken him, and they wouldn't, yeah. of course, let me see him. I didn't get to say it could have happened the same way. They almost put him on a respirator that night. I begged them to stop. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it yeah. could have happened to me easily. So I can certainly relate to oh, these yeah. stories, and I can also affirm yeah. that that's not an exaggeration. But uh, my guest yeah. is AJ AJ DePriest, and she is uh, representing the Tennessee Liberty Network. They've done some incredible things, and when we come back, we're going to walk you through. She's teased a lot of different things about what they found in their research, but now we're going to break it down. And you might want to get a pencil and paper because you might not be able to find this online. You know how that goes. And so uh, stay with us, and we're going we're gonna to fill in the blanks on why uh, hospitals are killing people who have COVID and taking it to the bank. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Kleiner suffering from the impacts of COVID and reportedly pneumonia that has ravaged his lungs tonight is in a Texas hospital. His family hoping and praying he can get the life-saving medical care he needs. The 55-year-old operations manager at a Twin Cities area trucking and logistics firm transferred out of Mercy Hospital in Coon Rapids over the weekend where he's been hooked up to a ventilator for more than two months. This is a life-saving thing. It's going to be critical. Just last week, Scott's wife, who was power of attorney over his health care decisions, brought on lawyer Marjorie Holston to stop Alina from pulling the plug on the ventilator they believe is keeping Scott alive. The family has stated in public comments and social media that Alina would not treat Scott with certain drugs and attempt other extraordinary measures that might otherwise save his life. When the medical team allegedly told them Scott had just a couple more days on the ventilator, 
Holston rushed to court to get this restraining order. The judge signing it Thursday. I don't think the judge wanted to be on the wrong side of saying, well, of course you should be able to pull the plug. I, I mean, yeah, So the judge was correct doing that. Over the weekend, Scott was transferred on a medical flight to an unidentified hospital in Texas, apparently willing to meet the family's medical wishes for life-saving treatments. By Sunday evening, he was already said to be improving on the ventilator while being weaned from the heavy sedatives and provided extra nutrients. I think the world is watching what's going on with Scott. And as he, as he gets better and better, we're going to see that, you know what? There are protocols that should be used that hospitals have not been using. And I'm hoping that changes are going to be made as a result of this case. Yes. Well, and that, sadly, what happened was that Scott died. He died a couple of days ago and uh, didn't survive uh, the treatment that he'd gotten in that Minnesota hospital. I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. That sounds like a, a woman and sounds like someone who might bring loss, a lawsuit. And I think she should. And there are enough people who've died now in this way. Maybe a class action lawsuit would be uh, worthy. Some, some attorney, some state's attorney, some U.S. district attorney who actually has um, passion and is like some of these pilots we've talked to, to this week who are uh, refusing the vaccine, who are Marines. Uh, it's, it's the doctors who are putting their medical license at risk by treating people properly. Maybe some courageous prosecutor can do the same thing. Uh, and uh, we just hope and pray that that happens to get this stopped. All right, so uh, my guest is A.J. Priest, uh, DePriest, and she's talking, she's with the Tennessee Liberty Network, and they, uh, as citizens uh, in Tennessee, took on researching. I'm assuming, A.J., you did this, did you confine your research to Tennessee? Of course, you had to do the federal part of piece of this, but is this what you found in your state, or is this true across the country? We first started researching just in Tennessee, and it was then that we discovered that uh, basically, what was happening in our state was a template for what's happening in every state. And the more we dug, the more we discovered that the everything is exactly the same in every state. All the laws that, that are protecting hospitals and doctors from this egregious behavior is all tied to the PREP Act, which is why we're not seeing all of these lawsuits that need to be happening because the PREP Act protects all the, all the hospitals and all the doctors within hospitals that are using what they call count, uh, covered countermeasures from all liability, even injury and death. And those covered countermeasures include remdesivir and ventilators and all of the EUA-prescribed or approved drugs that they're using in, in the hospitals. So no lawyers will take these cases because there's absolutely nothing they can do. They're all protected from liability. And when we discovered that Tennessee has its own version of the PREP Act, and a lot of states do too, but the federal PREP Act, it's the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, and in a nutshell, it provides immunity from liability, except for willful misconduct, which is nearly impossible to prove, for claims of loss caused by and arising out of the administration or use of the countermeasures. So that's why... So they thought of everything. They thought of yeah, everything. They really, and and mm. you know, if you look at the timing of all this, it's, it's like they knew that there would be so many lawsuits 
And so they protected in advance. And it's so unfair to the families who have lost loved ones. And they're, they're honestly being denied their constitutional right for their day in court by this PrEP Act. And, and I really hope that there are civil lawsuits being filed for that reason, because uh, the PREP Act is, is basically stopping in the tracks um, any attempt to seek justice for the wrongful death of loved ones in hospitals. But it is, you know, it is happening all over the country. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about, let's break this down now. And explain the financial incentive incentives. It needs to be graphic and real and detailed. And I think I was just reading this morning. You'll be interested. Maybe you saw this, AJ. But um, the uh, well, first of all, this little thing came in my inbox this morning that just in the last twenty four hours, this is the statement from Florida Health. This evening, without any advance notice, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration revised the emergency use authorizations for basically for monoclonal antibodies. The revised EUAs do not allow providers to administer these treatments within the United States. Unfortunately, as a result of this abrupt decision made by the federal government, all monoclonal antibody state sites will be closed until further notice. That's in Florida. Unbelievable. All right, so we'll, wow. come, back to, we'll come back to that. But, but, but I also just read that they are now authorizing remdesivir for use for all patients with COVID yes. out of the hospital now, out of the hospital. So let's talk about remdesivir because that's been the go-to drug in the hospital since President Trump was in office. Right. Um, well, rem- remdesivir was approved uh, by the FDA, so they pulled it out of EUA status, I think, of October of 2020, unfortunately. Um, but it is, it is absolutely deadly. Uh, because they're giving it to patients at the wrong time and they're combining it with drugs that are being given in the wrong doses at the wrong time. And, and it is literally killing, killing people. Um, but the, the other EUA drugs that they are using in the hospitals, they're not following the law. They're, they're violating EUA laws by not giving people the alternative treatment options. It, according to the EUA laws, you can not only refuse a drug, but you have to be given the alternate treatment options, and you have to be explained the risks and benefits of all of them. And they have failed to do that, not just with remdesivir when it was EUA, but the new drugs that they're pushing under EUA, they're doing it with the COVID shots that they call vaccines that are still EUA. They're, they have never given the alternative treatments. And that, to me, is a violation of the federal EUA laws. But yeah. it's also responsible me, for killing thousands it, of people. Let me interject just because these are this is familiar terms to you because you're living this, I'm sure, right now. But it's the emergency mm-hmm. use authorization. That's EUA, emergency use authorization, which, of course, means that we've by-stepped by stepped, stepped by <laughs> all the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the the normal procedures for approving these drugs. And that's certainly true that's of right. the uh, vaccine. And it's true of the, now she's saying remdesivir and some of these other things. Boy, now that's a, that's an issue upon which maybe some suits could be brought, but let's don't stop on that. Give it. What is the financial incentive given to hospitals for, uh, for prescribing to everybody a hundred percent remdesivir? What do they get for that? 
Oh, well, CMS is giving a 20% um, bonus payment on the total hospital bill to every hospital that uh, that administers remdesivir to the patient. And so that's a, that's a lot of money. I mean, when you think about the, the initial layout for ever COVID admissions um, per state, and these numbers came from the House Ways and Means Committee by the Health and Human Services, but every state gets a per COVID admission that may be that may be different. Like for in Tennessee, for instance, it's one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars for every COVID admission to the hospital. One hundred just yeah. because they admit a co- so that's why they would be willing to snatch someone and admit them without permission because yeah, they, well, that's one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars for them. Yeah, West Virginia gets $471,000 for every COVID admission. How much money? $471,000. Oh, my word. And that is according to Health and Human Services. So the states get different amounts for for the, for, and it's, it's, it's odd how it's laid out. You would think that the, the states that have, like New York, you would think that New York would have a higher higher payout, but um, New York actually is only $12,000 for every COVID admission. Yeah. Well, maybe they don't need it's as much incentive. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's Seriously. true. But um, so, so that's, that's number one. And then you've got the problem with the ventilators. Um, hospitals are being paid $39,000 for every COVID patient they put on a ventilator. Oh, my word. $39,000. And that's yeah. straight across the board they, then. Yeah, yeah. And then and then they get the 20% premium, what they call add-on bonus. You can use a word like that when describing killing people. But they get that on the total hospital bill if they use those covered countermeasures that include remdesivir. So they are highly incentivized to use remdesivir. And now they're, they're not just using remdesivir. They've added, um, a, a, according to the NIH documents, uh, the guidelines, they've actually added um, more very dangerous toxic drugs that are very expensive that have not been tested as EUA um, additions to the lineup like Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, these new drugs that that are coming out from Pfizer and Merck. Um, They know that these drugs are outrageously expensive. They know that they're dangerous. There are so many contraindications for people who are have uh, who are on other medications and have other conditions, but these are the drugs that they're lining up on the NIH protocol. But I should also mention that ivermectin and HCQ are also listed in the NIH guidelines for use for the treatment of COVID in hospitals. Is they're in the NIH guidelines? But they won't use them. But. No, they won't use them. They say in the NIH guidelines that they're not recommended for use because there's not enough studies. But if you look at all the studies combined on, let's say, Paxlovid, there are two studies on Paxlovid, and it costs about $700 a treatment. There are 73 studies on ivermectin, and it's less than a dollar a treatment. 
Molnupiravir, there are six studies, and it's about $700 of treatment. I mean, the drug that they're recommending, remdesivir, there are 27 studies, and most of them are pretty bad, and it's approximately $3,100 of treatment. So this is, this is a, a ploy by the pharmaceutical industry to not only insert itself into um, public health issues, but to make certain people a lot of money. Well, killing lots of people. And, of course, the thing of it is, and I've talked about this a lot, um, this is coming from, not to skip to this, but I just have to drop it in. This is coming from people who are into population control, and, uh, and yeah. they don't really I, care. Know, Go ahead. Let's, let's talk about that, because we've, we've dis- discovered just in our research, just looking at the demographics here in Tennessee, we've lost about 23,000 Tennesseans to COVID. Uh, no, well, I should say to the hospital protocols, because nobody dies from COVID at home. It, these are all hospital deaths. That should be definitely noted. But most of the people who fall victim are people who are older, people with several comorbidities, um, people of color, people who are poor, um, people who who have who smoke, um, who are overweight. Um, these are the people that are dying in hospitals, and. And we do think that it does have a lot to do with with population control. And I think just from watching the trajectory of what's happening in healthcare policy, and that that's my background is healthcare policy analysis. Um, I I see Medicare for all coming down the pike at us, and I think the Biden administration is going to start talking about. Medicare for all being the answer to all of our health care problems. Of course, keep in mind that our government created the health care problems and our government created these vax mandates that are letting go thousands and thousands of really awesome health care workers. And so they've been filling the gaps with people from the National Guard and the Army. So I, I, I fully expect Biden to come out and start talking about how Medicare for all is really the answer to our, our failed health care problems. And Medicare for all is going to look a lot like what we've seen. It, it's about rationing. It's about global budgeting. And the people who are going to suffer the most and the people who are going to die fastest are those older people, people with comorbidities, people from um, from the H-I- parts of Hold yes. that thought. Hold that thought because the, the music is going to make us stop here. So hold it. We'll come back on the other side. And I want to talk about, uh, uh, well, lots of other things. So stay tuned. AJ DePriest is my guest. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The Data and Safety Monitoring Board on Monday afternoon contacted me on April 27th, first on Friday, the week before, and then again on April 27th, and notified the study team, namely the multiple investigators who are doing the study throughout the world, that the data shows 
that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. Dr. Mengele, otherwise known as Dr. Fauci, uh, announcing to the world how wonderful remdesivir is. Uh, when we know now that remdesivir actually is killing people, almost every patient, I would say probably every patient that goes into the hospital and uh, with COVID gets remdesivir, and many of them never survive. All right, so then at the same time, uh, well, uh, things like um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are ridiculed. Let's listen to uh, just, an, for instance, a media montage responding to, you know, the science on ivermectin, clip four. Joe Rogan, uh, he came down with COVID. He says, he says he's been taking the uh, livestock dewormer uh, ivermectin. Individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who, uh, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine but will take horse dewormer. Wait, 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 wait a second. He, he said that he got better because he ate he said cattle been, dewormer. He, he may not have gotten it from the feed supply store, but it's the same compound. You know what doctors right. say? Doctors say you could take it for humans. When you have a horse deworming medication that's discouraged by the government, that actually causes some people in this crazed environment we're in to actually want to try it. That's the upside down where we're in with figures like Joe Rogan. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lie? Okay, well, so I'm going to interrupt lie. because you get the point. You get the point. Uh, Joe Rogan's stupid for taking ivermectin. Joe Rogan made the mistake of surviving COVID. How dare he do that? He didn't go in and they didn't uh, weren't able to apply their protocols on him. And he actually had the audacity to take ivermectin. And worse than that, he lived. And then, of course, we have uh, hydroxychloroquine, which has been around for decades, uh, even uh, able to give it to pregnant women. People in Africa take it once a week. They have for uh, for probably 50 years uh, to prevent malaria, malaria and uh, of all things, they've had very little COVID in that country, uh, we think, because of hydroxychloroquine, because it's cheap, and it prevents um, uh, COVID. Trying to hurry here. <laughs> Slow down. It prevents COVID. It's a prophylactic. It has to be taken kind of in the bloodstream. It's not a treatment once you're really sick. But um, you know what? Then the powers that be had to do something about that. Let's listen. Clip five. The Food and Drug Administration is ending its emergency authorization for the use of hydrochloroquine to treat COVID-19. The FDA is rescinding the authorization, which was originally issued in March, saying that the malaria drug carries too many risks without any apparent benefit. The drug had failed recent clinical trials, with doctors saying that it could cause serious health problems. During the pandemic, President Trump has repeatedly praised hydrochloroquine as a potential coronavirus treatment, including saying that he took the drug as a preventative measure last month. The FDA's announcement will not affect clinical trials for the drug, which are expected to continue. All right. So thank you for that, NBC News. Hydroxychloroquine, of course, has been around, as I said, for generations, and we've seen that it's been very effective and so is ivermectin, in spite of what they say. I think there's been 73 studies to prove that ivermectin is very effective, but uh, we can't have that. And so my guest, again, is um, A.J. DePriest, and she is with Tennessee Liberty Network. Before we talk about anything else, A.J., you you are working on a Tennessee patient bill of rights. You, you guys operate out of the state of Tennessee. The sponsors are a Cong uh, Representative Todd Warner and Senator Mark Pody. What... What is that, and how effective do you think it will be, and what's its chance of passing? Well, it better pass, <laughs> because there are thousands and thousands of really angry people who have had just about enough of this. 
Um, I think that uh, I can honestly say after reading the bill that every single one of these problems in hospitals will go away if this bill passes. There will be no more isolation. There will be no more medical kidnapping. Doctors will not be punished for treating patients properly. Uh, that patient-doctor relationship will be restored in hospitals. Um, patients will be given treatments that they request. They can deny treatments and not be forced to take them. It, it will literally solve every single one of our problems overnight. And one of the most important parts of the bill, thank God, is, um, is that organizations like Vanderbilt, which is so guilty of this, will yes, not be are. able to remove um, patients from their organ transplant list because they're not vaccinated. This has been a huge issue. And I know it's been like this in other states as well, but Tennessee's bill will effectively make it illegal for organizations like Vanderbilt to boot patients off of their recipient list because they're not vaccinated. Well, of course, the, the so thing it's that, an important bill. Boy, it is. I mean, that's an understatement of the century. Uh, the, the Tennessee Patient Bill of Rights, and I, I think uh, we have a lot of listeners in Tennessee, and so we need to. How I was. What would you suggest? What can people do? Is there something practical they can do to help pass this bill? Yes, they can. They can call. They can write. They can go visit um, every single member of the House. Uh, Health and Welfare Committee of the Senate Health Committees, because this bill needs to pass. If if we're going to stop what's going on in hospitals, Tennessee can lead the country in this effort. And we need to show the entire country that one state is strong enough and brave enough to stand up to this murder for money scheme and put our citizens first. Well, I think it sounds great. And let me just say again, the sponsors are Todd Warner, who's a Tennessee state representative, and Senator Mark Pody in the other chamber. And so um, do, can you be specific? Are you able to about where it is? Is it out of committee? Is it is it coming up anytime soon? Do you know? Um, all I can say is that it's still in it's still in house committees and it's still being discussed and of course, we have a lot of opposition from the medical and hospital lobbyists because, well, you know, they get paid to protect the hospitals and the, the medical lobby. So, of course, they're going to object to all of this. But um, I just ha- I have great faith in our lawmakers to do right by the people of Tennessee and, and to give something back, something some semblance of hope for the people who have lost 23,000 Tennesseans in these hospitals. It's just been so hard for, I mean, don't you know somebody who's lost somebody or nearly lost someone to this? It's just, um, it's a global problem. It is, but of course, most people uh, would say it's it's really the most bizarre thing in the world to me. People almost, it's almost a bragging right that you've lost someone from COVID. You know, oh, I've lost oh, it, but there's this foggy, there's this foggy thought about it. I'm not sure. 
I'm not as confident as you are that people are understanding that their loved one who was sent to the hospital was killed by the hospital. Yeah, there are Literally. a lot of people who, who well, and why should they believe it? I mean, we've always been taught that when you're a sick person, you go to the hospital and you trust these people with your lives. And, and I have personal experience of working in a situation where, where I had a loved one who was in an ICU before COVID, who was in spring of 2019, and uh, my, my youngest daughter was on a ventilator for 28 days. And I watched these doctors. They were heroes. They were absolute heroes. They did everything to save her. I've never seen, I'm sorry, I've never seen doctors who went to such lengths to save a life. And they did. They saved my daughter. 28 days on a ventilator. And she's so strong and healthy today. So when I see doctors who are denying care and deliberately murdering people in hospitals, I just can't believe it. I I absolutely cannot wrap my head and my heart around how doctors can be such heroes in 2019, and suddenly they are these heartless, evil monsters. And and I just have to believe in my heart that so many doctors out there hate what's happening. They hate it, but they're being forced to do this by the medical boards of medical examiners are threatening them. Um, the chief medical officers are threatening their jobs. We work with doctors. We formed an organization called the Adam Group that's strictly COVID education and advocacy work. And we work with many doctors who left traditional health care and who now help us treat COVID patients at home um, because they couldn't stand what was happening. And if they made any effort to actually help patients in the hospital, they were fired. Dr. John Witcher is a good example of that. Mississippi doctor, he took all of his ICU patients off remdesivir, and he was on his way back to the ICU to administer ivermectin, and his hospital called and fired him. And now, Dr. Witcher is a hero. He is helping COVID patients the way he thinks is best. He works with the patient, and they come up with a plan of action to treat COVID at home, and he's having great success. And I can honestly say that of all the patients that we've helped get early treatment and preventive care, we have a 100% survival rate with our patients. Wow. 100%. Well, all right. We have well, not lost a single you one. You've got a lot of people's attention, and let me ask you um, – I'm not exactly sure, because you're in Tennessee, and you think you're talking to people all over the country. So for people who are not in Tennessee, does the Adam Group, are you able to help them, or is this for people in Tennessee? What, what, what about that? We try to help people all over the country. People find us, uh, find our website. They can write to us through the website. And we are building relationships with advocacy groups in other states. And so if there are any patient advocacy groups in other states, please, please go to theadamgroup.net. That's A-D-A-M for Adam Rodriguez, one of our patients who we lost, um, .net, 
and send an email to me and and let's let's build keep building this network of advocacy groups across the United States because there are ways that we can help not only get patients out of hospitals that are being held against their will, but we can help families get into hospitals. And we've had great success here in Tennessee only because um, our governor lifted the state of emergency last November. So we've been able to hold a lot of hospitals accountable to their pre-COVID patient visitation policies. Um, And so that's been very successful for us. I know there are a lot of states that still have a state of emergency, which is absurd, but there are still a lot of ways that we can help get at least to get family into the hospital to be with their loved ones. They should not be alone. That's right. Oh, I know. I know. It's just been, um, it's been horrendous for all of us. It's been so psychologically devastating in so many ways. It's been, um, it's created like shock and depression and, you know, drug overdose and suicide yeah. and uh, all the residual physical effects. We didn't even talk about the vaccines. Uh, let me just inter- interject this. MyFreeDoctor.com is another outlet. Dr. Ben Marble is the founder of that. And that's a national yes. group where if you need uh, ivermectin or if you need a doctor through telemedicine, it is free. You can give a donation. It's MyFreeDoctor.com. I don't want any of you, any of you, not able to get treatment when you have covid um, so, um, so the Adam Group not dot net, the Adam Group dot net, or um, boy, or myfreedoctor.com. and then remember that uh, it's the Tennessee Patient Bill of Rights. If you're in Tennessee, then you want to contact your legislator and tell them to get on that. That needs to be passed. Um, and I'm assuming that you know any of you listening to me in any state could do what A.J. DePriest and her group in Tennessee is doing, the Tennessee Liberty Network. And probably if you needed to know how to start, you could contact them and ask that question. And so, um, A.J., you've done great work, and I really appreciate you spending so much time with us this morning and explaining it so thoroughly. So God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, and thank you. you. All right. All right, well, Sandy Rios, end the morning with more good news on AFR Talk. 